Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now for today's episode. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. So we get to have another episode about the bug. All right. This one is going to be a little bit of a different approach. This is uh, actually has to do with some of the financial management aspects of it, plus some other things from an entrepreneurial perspective. The title of today's conversation is Protect and Grow the Value of Your Business During the pandemic and this can apply to any pandemic thank goodness so uh, we're going to sort of dive right into this we have a returning contestant with us today those of you who've been tuning in for a while may recall that approximately i don't know it might have been 16 months ago we had ashley michike of true north with uh, with us and she is back again so Ashley Michike is the co-owner and CEO of True North Retirement Advisors, a family-run advisory firm. And those who've been tuning in may recall that her topic was, uh, it had to do with family businesses, which is a very timely topic in any era. She specializes in the unique needs and challenges that business owners face and helps them create highly customizable, successful exit plans. A frequent podcast guest, second time at Business Creators Radio, an experienced onstage speaker. Ashley is not your typical financial presenter, as those of you who were here 16 months ago remember. As a four-time humorous speech champion, that's funny, she brings her award-winning style to delight and engage audiences, and I actually made my guests laugh. Ashley, come on in. The weather's fine. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much for having me back. Okay, so I should make everybody go back and listen to the previous episode, uh, since they're not keeping, I'm just kidding. We've actually got a lot of new people here uh, since the last time you were with us, which was well over a year ago. So, hate to have you repeat yourself, but we have a lot of new people. Uh, If you could tell us a bit about your, what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, and let them see why it is you're not the typical financial presenter, which I can vouch for. Yeah, so I actually started my first business when I was eight years old that, uh, you know, probably more than anything is a little odd to do when you're eight. (laughs) And it wasn't until I started working with business owners and started my career that I realized that that's an interesting thing to do and decide to do when you're eight years old. So um, I love being a business owner. I'm, as you mentioned, I'm in a family business with my father. It's a lot of fun, but it, it has its pros, it has its cons. And um, there's, there's just so many different dynamics in when you own a business, but especially in a family business. So um, after I graduated college, I went to college, I received a finance degree, and I started as a generalist financial advisor. And I accidentally 
fell into working with 401k plans for small business owners. And I realized through that, that when I would talk to my business owner clients, a lot of them were very close to retirement. You know, they're in their 50s, 60s, and thinking about retirement in the next five to 10 years. And none of them had any plan at all for how they were going to exit their business. And typically, you know, these were successful small business owners. Their business wasn't worth, you know, $100 million, but it was maybe worth $500,000 or a million or somewhere in there. And, and they just didn't have any concrete plan to extract value from their business when they were ready to retire. And I've, I've watched business owner clients over the years just walk away with their business from nothing when they decided to retire. Um, I've had, I've seen a death of an owner that led to some pretty catastrophic, uh, subsequent events for his business, his family, his employees. And so the goal with exit planning and what I try to do with my clients now is we put a concrete plan in place that allows them, gives them the best chance possible to transfer their business to the person they want, uh, you know, whether that be an insider or a third party sale for the money they need on their timeline, on their terms. And that's what a successful exit plan does. Um, and our job is to be the the general contractor of this whole process to help them see it through to fruition to the end so that they can continue to focus on their business and not be so bogged down in the details of planning their exit yeah it's coming back to me what we discussed last time it was about uh exit planning if you're in a family business the dynamics of being in the business with the members of your family and I remember telling my story about the time that I was that I worked for a really dysfunctional family business and I had to be very careful when uh, asking questions about it because in my experience it was the daughter who was the moron <laughs> you, you remember that yeah, I do remember that <laughs> And I'm thinking, I wonder if that's the case in my business, too. <laughs> no, 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 no. And, uh, and based on what's been said about me, no, I don't hold back about it. I mean, it, that, I mean, that situation was so bad and so dysfunctional that I celebrate the day that I was forced out as my second birthday, April 27th. And the reason, I, and the reason is because, and this is for our listeners who are familiar with the fact that I contributed to Journeys of Success and Millennial Edition, is that it basically shattered a lot of paradigms that I had experienced along with many others, such as if you leave your job without having another job, people are going to assume you're a flake. Uh, and then there's the one that, well, if you ever get fired, you're going to have to take a 30% pay cut. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, by that, well, literally two business days later, I had a temp assignment that was paying more than that previous job and I ended up losing the temp assignment because I had so many interviews because when you're temping uh, part of the understanding is you're allowed to take reasonable time off for the assignment to make an interview for a permanent job guess a lot of people wanted to interview me I don't know and part of the reason I've always uh, you know liked my conversations with you is when I was about eight years old I had this vision of my grandfather's garage sale becoming a business empire and I used to spend hours in his garage rearranging that 
junk that he sold <laughs> it, yeah. uh, that, uh, like it like it was precious goods uh and, and any of my family members listening to this uh remember bob's garage sale and are probably chuckling chuckling over this mm-hmm. uh it, yeah this garage sale had everything but customers i mean it was he left it open all day every day uh but he never advertised it it's just if somebody happened by and wanted to buy some of his flashlights and his old clothes uh every so often somebody would come by in a thrift store in a thrift store mode and just buy everything he had and that's kind of what he lived for uh that was something that mattered more to me when I was eight or nine years old myself than any prospect of what my future career would be. When I was at Penn State studying for my political science degree, because I had this idea that I was going to go to law school, uh, other than the time necessary to complete my term papers the night before they were due, I spent a lot of time in the computer lab. And that's dating ourselves because uh, that was the 1990s. Shortly after that, everybody started having their own computer in their own room. Right. And I, I was I was mostly on some of the early e-commerce websites that sold competition auto sound prod, products. And I kept having these visions of myself selling this stuff, the, the building stereo systems and cars. So that's where my brilliance and my passion actually was. I couldn't stop thinking about the system in my Camaro. <laughs> when I was in college, which was kind of an indicator right then that this entrepreneurial thing was capturing my attention much more than political science was. And, yeah. iron- and ironically, today, I'm one of the few people that can have a political conversation and actually not uh, and actually not uh, tell the other person that uh, has a different opinion of me that they're uh, literally filling the blank dictator. <laughs> Yeah, well, isn't it interesting how you don't really often see it until much later in life or, you know, years down the road, but there's all these little signs along the way that kind of point you in a specific direction. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, and hindsight is 20. 20 I, I'm certainly not 2020 with, uh, with my eyes prescription, but all the same. So, uh, you, you came to us because you had a specific message for us, and there's some things you want us to know. You actually approached the Business Creators Radio Show about coming back, because I know you're kind of chomping at the bit about this with everything that's going on in today's business environment and what have you. And I couldn't think of a better person to share some of this with us. So let's just start by asking you what's on your mind about uh, business and pandemics and such. Well, yeah, if you talk to some of the best business people out there, um, they will tell you that there are always opportunities in crisis. And the this pandemic is no different. Now, I don't want to ignore the fact that this pandemic will be devastating. There are businesses, there are jobs, there are people that, that this is forever going to change their, their business or send them out of business permanently. And, and that's really difficult because a lot of it is completely out of their control. And it's, uh, you know, it's very hard to watch that. But for businesses who will survive, there is a tremendous amount of opportunity. And I think it's very easy as us as human beings to, to kind of go into this um, depressed depression, like I'm going to hide under my desk and I'll just, you know, come out of my cave uh, when it's all over. But if we can put our, pick our head up and lift our eyes and look and see what are the opportunities that exist today, right now in this pandemic, and how can I take advantage of those opportunities to come out of this pandemic on the other side, uh, you know, stronger and healthier as a business. And um, a a couple of these things, and hopefully we'll have some time to get into this, but there are certain things that are present right now 
especially around taxes um, that are very likely to be changing very soon. So it's a small window of opportunity where business owners can take advantage of these of these current trends and what's happening um, that may not be around in, you know, a year from now or two years from now, what have you. Okay. I can relate to that. And I know people that have actually suffered greatly as a result of this. And you are absolutely correct in the extent to which it's beyond their control and that they're at the mercy of something that I'm not even going to get into it. I'm going to leave the political science side of this mm -hmm. aside, uh, but I think uh, most of us know what I'm referring to here. It's in many cases asinine. It's like, it's like reading one of those dystopian SHTF novels uh, for some people in business. Candidly, it's bad. Uh, but at the same time, we have to remember that they created A1 steak sauce in the year 1862. The country's literally tearing each other apart, but somebody decided we needed steak sauce. <laughs> I like that. I haven't heard that before. Well, if you look at the bottle, it says established 1862. Yeah. I don't look at the bottle myself, but I saw pictures of it. And uh, yeah, 1862, we're in the middle of the Civil War. Somebody needs uh, steak sauce. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so there's so there's always an opportunity, as you yourself said. Uh, but let's uh, start with, let's look at this from a few different angles. First of all, uh, how can you protect your business in a situation like this, especially when there are so many unknowns and things that can come at you from left field? Exactly. Going back to just being able to look at what, what can I control? I can't control what the governor in my state is doing or whether my kids are in school or not. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening outside of my control. And that's very frustrating uh, for, for a lot of reasons. But from a business perspective, if we can just focus on what can I control? And one of the things that you can control is... Uh, writing down and creating a plan for what happens to my business if something happens to me. So what if I got sick? What if I got coronavirus? What if I died? Um, how do I protect my business if the unthinkable happens? And I think one of the blessings of, of this coronavirus crisis is that pretty much all of us have sat through and ran in our mind what happens, what would happen to me? What would happen to my family? What if I got sick? Um, and I think a lot of us uh, operate in this uh, in this world where, in our own minds, you know, we don't realize that we are one day going to die. We don't know when. We don't know how. Um, but the coronavirus has really kind of brought this to the forefront of our minds, at least temporarily. So too often, you know, this business critical information that you have lives only in your head, and. Um, that's problematic on many fronts, but if you became sick and you couldn't go into your business tomorrow and run your business tomorrow, what would happen to your business? For a lot of business owners, uh, even larger businesses that there's management teams in place and other people who can kind of take care of a lot of the day-to-day, -day, it, it would still have a very negative impact on the business. So the solution to this is writing down your instructions for business continuity. And that's one of the first things that we do with our clients when we start working with them, because I find virtually no client has this in place. And so what it is, a, a lot of people think business continuity is just if, if there's a, you know an earthquake or a natural disaster or something like that. But business continuity instructions is all about 
what do you want to have happen uh, in a crisis situation? And that could be your death, your disability. So who should be contacted first and how? Who should fulfill your role in the business? Um, if you die or become you know, permanently disabled and you cannot return to the business, who should inform your employees, your customers, and how? Like, do you want this text blast to go out to all of your customers saying, you know, hey, uh, Adam, sorry, he's not coming back. You know, I, I, a lot of business owners, I think, have a have a really good idea of how they want to control the communication. How should your employees be informed? How should your customers be informed? Who should tell them? Um, and writing that down because no one can read your mind. And so we need to know your your key employees need to know your family, your spouse needs to know who should come in and fill your role who should take over operations, make financial decisions, like all of the hats that you're wearing in your business right now, um, who should take over that. A lot of business owners that I work with, they they still do payroll. Um, they, they're the only ones who have access to any of the bank account information, things like that. So we have to give other people the tools to be able to kind of keep the grease on the wheels if something happens to you. We don't have to clue them into that right now, but we need to let them know where they can find that information, especially with regards to, you know, bank accounts. I'll, I'll talk to um, clients who are married. They have a business. They're, they're married. Their spouse is really not involved in the business. They don't even know where insurance policies can be found. They don't even know where the bank accounts, uh, which bank even the bank account is at for the for the company, they're not aware of any lines of credit for the business, et cetera. So we need to be able to communicate where, which agreements are in place, what policies are in place, where are the bank accounts, where can copies of all of these agreements, insurance policies, et cetera, be found. So that this is very important. It does not take a lot of time to get this in place. You don't even have to go through like the legal channels. You do not have to have an attorney draft this for you. We have a template that we use and we put that together with our clients to create this, but it creates these written instructions for what the key people in the business and your family should do in the event that you can no longer run the business. Well, I. Uh to bring this down to micro, because everything you say makes dollars and cents, and sometimes it saves dollars and cents depending on the scenario, uh, think of it this way. We, a lot of us have procedures in our business to cover some of the small things. Uh, in my business, for example, when we host webinars, we have a very specific process for how we set up the funnel and how we set up the technologies. Uh, whenever I bring in somebody uh, who's not familiar with it, I have them watch videos that I filmed that, it, that are me demonstrating the process. So when the first time comes around and they have this really weird idea of how one of my webinars should go, I just simply say, uh, just want to make sure you saw the video on that. Could you please go back and watch it again and make sure that what you've set up aligns with what's in the video? So I have that piece covered. But how many business owners and entrepreneurs don't have covered, uh, if I die, where's the, where's the checkbook? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 one thing. And you know, you mentioned the thing about the spouses and what have you. Uh, some of our listeners may have prenuptial agreements with their spouses. I myself have dodged the M word twice in my life. And the second time I did was after I 
already had a business established. And one of the things that I was expecting if that marriage had actually taken place was for there to be a prenuptial agreement in place uh, that would separate my future wife from having any involvement in my business. The reason being is so that anything that happened with her credit could not impact the business and vice versa. I wanted her to be separate from it just as I personally wish to be separate from it with the idea that if one or both of us ever had to declare bankruptcy or something happened to our own income streams, they, they couldn't come and take the business away. That's where I was going with it. It wasn't a matter of trust or anything like that. But at minimum, I would have wanted her to know the combination to the safe where the stuff was kept in case I croaked. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing that that's always part of the the business continuity instructions that I think is often overlooked is uh, most business owners at some point have been approached by somebody about selling their business. Now, some of these are kind of like spammy kind of you know, and, and get dismissed as they should. But, you know, right. a lot of times maybe you're at an industry conference and, you know, you work in a very specific industry and there's a friendly competitor who you've developed a relationship with over the years. And they might casually mention to you that, hey, if you're ever interested in selling your business, let me know. And uh, what usually happens is that unless the owner is getting close to retirement, getting serious about exiting, they dismiss that and don't really make a note of it. But I would encourage all of your business owners listening that anytime you get a legitimate, serious offer, even casually like that from someone who is interested in buying your business, make a note of that. Write down their name, write down their contact information, the name of their business, maybe just a short little sketch of, you know, we talked about this, they seem very interested in buying the business because what would ha- what would happen is you want to be able to communicate in those business continuity instructions what should happen to the business if you die or become incapacitated. Right. And you want this short list of people that say your spouse could go to or, you know, a co-owner could go to if they don't want to run the business, whatever the circumstances, they want to be able to go to someone to be able to quickly sell the business. Because most of the time in a lot of circumstances, if the owner dies suddenly, um, it, it, it's it that's it that's it for the business um and there are obviously a lot of exceptions to that but for small business owners where you know if you have let's say less than 30 employees the owner is very key to those operations and the business is unlikely to survive long term it may be able to kind of limp along for a couple of years but if we've previously identified someone who's very interested in buying the business we can go to that person immediately and kind of put a plan in place to hopefully transfer the the value and get something from that business. Um, And then another key piece of that is understanding what your business is worth so that when, let's say, your spouse who has no involvement in the business, they may have no clue what the business should be worth. Maybe it's worth $5 million with you. Maybe if you die, it's worth $3 million or $4 million. But they should have an understanding of what what is a reasonable minimum value that they should expect if they're going to go and try to sell this business. Now, it could be worth much less than that because – the uh, buyer understands and knows that, hey, this person has died or they're really sick now and, and, you know, they may take advantage of that. But 
the the person who is responsible for running the business and and trying to find a buyer needs to know reasonably what the business is worth with you and what they should expect as a minimum value without you. Right. Um, If I remember correctly, uh, your husband is also involved in the same business as you are, if I remember from our last interview. Yes, he's a, so my husband's a CPA. Yeah. So he does all of our, you know, accounting and payroll and that kind of stuff. But he's not he my dad and I are the owners of the business and so he and I make the the decisions. But yes, right. it, my husband is involved and he does our books and then my father-in-law is a uh, certified financial planner and he has clients and and uh, he's involved in the business too. So there are four four people that I am related to either by blood or marriage that are involved in this business. <laughs> right, right, right. Actually, here's where I'm going with this. Uh, what is a hobby that your husband has that just totally annoys you that you want nothing to do with and will never understand? Oh, gosh. Just pick um, one. Because everybody oh. who has a spouse can relate to this. Well, my husband is, he knows more about cars than I think anybody. And he loves cars. And uh, uh, I can't even pretend to be interested in that. I have no interest okay. whatsoever. So, so, so is he into like restoring uh, muscle cars? Is that is that his gig? No, he uh, he's into more like a racing and driving. But oh, there is okay. always a car... Right now, we have two cars in our garage that are uh, that have the hood propped up, and he's in the process of working on something related to them. So, okay, so so let's say so let's say your husband had a jo- had a business where he restored race cars, and uh, and the absolute worst possible thing that we don't want to think about happened. How excited would you be about uh, taking over his race car business? Oh gosh, no, no I'd want that's to liquidate where, that that's, as soon as possible. That's Get where me I was. Out. That's where I was going with this, which is why I wanted our listeners to understand how important everything is that you just said, is uh, you could end up, because of a spouse or a family member leaving the picture or being unable to continue, even if they're still alive, uh, you shouldering a business you want nothing to do with, which is why it's important for those who may thinking, well, why would I want to track conversations I've had with potential competitors and potential people that want to buy my business? Because in that situation, you'd probably be looking to maximize and get as much money as you could from the business. Because what would you know about race cars? That's neither your brilliance nor your passion. You couldn't do that. Exactly. And it's very, if you think about too, there's a, there's a lot of elements to that. Like, first of all, I'm hopefully grieving, right? You've lost your spouse. You're grieving. There's a lot of, you know, emotional turmoil there. And then to come in and have to run this business and and resuscitate it back to life in this unexpected traumatic event is very very stressful so you're creating a lot of stress and um you know that that's just a recipe for disaster too even if even if the person who comes in um you know could run the business do they want to especially under those circumstances and the other thing to think about too is that if I if if I had the skill set, the desire, the knowledge to be involved and run this business, why would I not have already been involved in it in that kind of deep level prior to that sudden departure? So for all of those 
business owners out there who their spouse has very little involvement in the business, that's an important thing to think about too. Because if they had the skill set to run the business, then they would already be involved in that function, but they're not. And so, you know, ideally, you're going to want to get 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 rid of the business uh, and get the most that you can from it in in the unlikely and hopefully, you know, event that you do not uh, die or become incapacitated. But it, it happens. It's happened to my clients. Um, and it's it's not fun to watch. So we want to do everything we possibly can to set your family, your employees and your business up for maximum success when the unexpected happens. Yeah, I know you and I are two pretty happy-go-lucky people here, and this is kind of a morbid conversation <laughs> to have. Uh, and uh, you, know, you mentioned that uh, in the event of the passing of your spouse, hopefully you'd be mourning, but there could also be a situation where the person would be celebrating so much that the last thing they want to do is be bothered with dealing with their late spouse's business. Not only are they happy the spouse is gone, they want the business to go away too. So would it make sense to have a plan in place where they could just sell that sucker off quickly and move on. Yeah, I mean, it works in a variety of circumstances. Um, the other thing, too, that I just wanted to mention real quick on these business continuity instructions that I think is important is you want to also include a list of your trusted advisors. So who is your CPA? Who's your business attorney? Who's your exit planning advisor? You know, myself or whoever you're working with. Who, who's your payroll vendor? Who's your banker? You know, you might have bank accounts at a specific bank, but maybe there's a specific contact person there that you that you've worked with over the years. So all of these key roles of your trusted advisors that you've worked with over the years, you, you'll want to list their names, their business name, their contact information, all of that so that um, your 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 key employees and your spouse uh any, anybody who's going to be implementing these instructions knows who to contact and and first because those people can really come in and provide a lot of support and help and guidance especially in those early days of an unexpected early exit so i have to wonder how, of our, how many of our listeners take for granted they know the name of their accountant uh do you know the name of my accountant i do not Exactly. So I wouldn't expect you to because you and I have only communicated a few times. And uh, even though I've mentioned my accountant's name numerous times on the Business Creators radio show because he's just that awesome, uh, I would not reasonably expect uh, my heirs to necessarily have that piece of information right off the top of their head because here's a funny thing. Uh, It's sometimes the people who are closest to you who understand your business the least. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, if you you ever, uh, I mean, in your family, this might be the exception in some cases, because a lot of your family are actually in that business or and on that business. But how many people own businesses or entrepreneurs, and their family and friends just don't get it. So they just make wisecracks about it. Mm -hmm. These are the people, these are the people who are going to be left to pick up the pieces if you go. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. You know, for years when I got started with online marketing, which is kind of my wedge into entrepreneurship, I had to deal with weekly family gatherings where they continued on their quest to prove that I was actually a porn entrepreneur. (laughs) I mean, do you think they mean, and you think that, uh, I I mean, uh, they thought it was funny, but I'm thinking you really have 
no idea what's going on here. And think about others in that situation. Uh, or if I tried to explain e-commerce and I got to the word shopping cart and they said, oh, that's like the thing you push in a grocery store. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I, I'm, bringing, I'm bringing up these examples, which to some ears may be like, oh, wow. No, oh, no, he didn't. And I'm saying, oh, yes, I did. Because I want to bring into relief how close these issues may be to you. You just don't think about it every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So we're dealing with the um, with the long-term uh, strategies. And some of this is not exactly a recap, but it relates to what you and I discussed when you were here last time. Uh, I'd like to, if you could, share with us a bit about shorter term disaster planning uh maybe a natural disaster happens or uh, a pandemic happens or something along those lines which can create uh, immediate dislocation and what are some of the things you can do to protect your business in that case because candidly last march a lot of people got caught with their pants down yeah so Exactly. Uh, with business continuity, as I mentioned earlier, really where, when people think about business continuity, they think about it in that context, what happens in a natural disaster uh, or, you know, some some other event outside of my control. That's not me being disabled or um, dying. Um, and so, you know, really insurance kicks in in those circumstances, having you know, a lot of businesses should have disaster plans and, and those types of things. And those are handled, uh, you know, through insurance policies that you might have. Um, and depending on the type of business it is, too, is really going to dictate what should exist there. I think another issue to consider would be diversity. Now, when I say diversity, many folks are thinking, OK, so you have different uh genders, orientations, races, and things like that in your business. And that's all great. And that's something you should consider. And we have other episodes on this uh, Business Creators Radio Show where we speak with experts about those topics and how to handle it. Go tune into those. But what I mean by diversity is, in this particular case is diversity of the ability of the business to make money and to serve its customers. Uh, here's just one very quick example, uh, and this was told to me by a friend of mine who has a restaurant, and she said that uh, what this pandemic taught her is to move her restaurant to a building that has a patio outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think most of our listeners know where I'm going with that. It had not occurred to her to have outdoor seating capabilities. And as a result, uh, she lost out on an opportunity to be one of the relatively few in her very restrictive area that could have stayed in business. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's that goes back to some of the, looking for some of the opportunities. And, um, you know, it's hard to see something like this coming. Nobody really saw it coming or how, how specifically that it would tar- target specifically more, uh, you know, industries more than others, like restaurants, hotels, uh, gyms, like decimated pretty much across the board. And it was very hard for a lot of these businesses to pivot. Um, but then you have certain online retail businesses or, or, or brick and mortar retail businesses that were able to, because of technology now, could, could uh, you know, start 
pivoting and doing more things online. So it was, it's been really cool to see how a lot of, even a lot of small business like restaurants have been creative and, and uh, being able to stay open or do what they could under the circumstances and how, uh, you know, so many people have been very supportive in doing what they can to, to continue to go to those businesses and, and keep them alive. Yeah, uh, certainly, certainly. And it, it is, and the thing is, we in many cases, people even who did okay are still reeling from some of the changes that were forced upon us. And I think the worst part of it is how inconsistently it was done across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's tough because if you were in, you know, California versus Florida or, uh, you know, North Dakota. I mean, it's 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 challenging because it, it a lot of it was just, well, where are you? Are you one of the unlucky ones from a business standpoint that was in a, a place that was way more restrictive? You could you could be in California where they are now literally sending task forces out to check how many people you have in your house. Or you could be in South Dakota, which not only uh, did not even have many of the restrictions that other states had to begin with, but they're showing themselves as being one of the few states that actually grew financially in the, in the course of all this. Mm-hmm. So you're really, you're really, and, and the other thing to keep in mind is that's not just the, um, the ideological bent of their governor or whatever it is. It's also part of the situation of geography, population density, the types of industries and businesses they have. Uh, You can't really compare South Dakota to California Mm -hmm. by any measure whatsoever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, It does does make you think, depending on what type of lifestyle that you enjoy, what type of business you're in and where a good place to be in that business is, are you in the right state to be in that business? Yeah, yeah, I think it's a lot of question a lot of people are asking themselves. Which also leads me to another question, and maybe you have an answer for this, or maybe you don't. Uh, what about the portability of the business? Uh, I mean, if you're in a restaurant business, for example, you serve a geographic area, and if it's of an urban area, you realistically serve a five-block area, give or take. I think that's a statistic or something like that. But to what extent? As part of your planning, could you at least have a scenario where you pick up the business and move it to a different area of town, a different part of the state, a different state or a different time zone? Most of that comes down to owner preferences and and the makeup of the employees and the business. Uh, you know, very few businesses just pick up and, and leave where they're at um, because, like you said, the physical location restricts that. Or, you know, all of their clients are within a, or customers are within a specific geographic area. So for a lot of businesses, unless they're willing to lose the vast majority of their business or just start over from scratch, it's very challenging to do that. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, if, if you have a business where you are able to work from anywhere or work from home it it is nice to be able to really look at okay what what's the tax situation like 
what's what's the long-term outlook in this area that I live in? You know, I live just outside of Portland, Oregon, and we were on the news a lot this year because of the rioting and things like that happening in the downtown area. My condolences, and, but go ahead. <laughs> well, it's really weird because unless you're in this very small uh, portion of downtown Portland, it nothing looks different. And then you go there and it's a third world country down there and uh, depending on where you go. So, but the vast majority of Portland is completely unchanged. It, it doesn't look any different. Um, the city is not burning, although in certain parts of it, buildings it obviously was. But, yeah. um, you know, I talk to a lot of people who live in Portland that have seriously considered or have already decided to move outside of the city just because this is really the rioting has really brought to light some of the things that they're they're not happy with like basic private property protections um just kind of went out the window in specific areas while those riots were happening so you know there's a lot that's sort of off topic but like there's a lot of reasons why business owners may decide that for whatever reason they want they want to move locations or or move completely out of state or or what have you and it's 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 usually not part of the discussion because when i when i'm working with clients you know they're in those last maybe five to ten years before their exit and um it's it's usually not something that they want to undertake now someone who's a lot further out maybe 20 years or just getting started you know that that may be something that they consider doing um, but because they can afford to maybe see well I want to start over in this new state either from scratch or I'm willing to give up a certain percentage of my business because I think the future opportunity is worth it well that's a long runway to see if that comes to fruition so it's usually not something that most of my clients who are getting closer to their exit are considering yeah uh, you uh, discuss why it's important for business owners to understand their business value. And I think that's great. Uh, my actual question about that for our listeners is, how do you understand your business's true value? Uh, there, are, I mean, there are cliches, which I'm sure you've heard of all of them and some that I haven't heard of, so I'm not going to repeat them. But there's, it's understanding your business value, I know, is a lot more than balance sheets. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so how would somebody even begin to understand what that actual value is? And I'll give you one example. You know, you hear the the story of the uh, of the person who has, well, let's just say it's a one man business where he does drywall, for instance. So if something happens to him, there's no more business because he does all the jobs himself. But that doesn't mean that the business itself has no value at all, even without him. Hmm. Yeah, it really depends. Generally, it's very difficult for kind of a one one man or one woman show to have to have any value at all because the business just revolves around them and um, unless they bring somebody in to replace themselves or in very rare circumstances, depending on what industry they're in, they may have something to sell there. But the challenge for solo entrepreneurs is that for the vast majority of them, there will be nothing of value for them to sell. But that doesn't mean that they can't put that in in place and set themselves up and their business up to have a sellable something when they want to exit. Right. Right, right. Because, uh, you know, candidly, I have a very small business myself. And I have also spoken about how I don't want the big team of many Adams. 
because I've, I've been down that road and I've used the t-shirt as a dust rag. Uh, at the same time, there is a value to those clients. So I've actually spoken with people who have demonstrated to me that if I wanted to get out of the business, I could sell the infrastructure, even though it's a virtual infrastructure, and have somebody take my place at the head of it. Uh, it wouldn't exactly be worth a million dollars, but somebody could buy their way into existing client relationships where their starting point was, was just to pick up where I left off and allow all those clients and all those relationships to continue to have somebody to serve them. So again, that's not the same as having a physical plant or having a lot of uh, physical infrastructure that could be sold. But at the same time, it's something that I could get a little bit of something out of it if I had to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's very important what you're doing, which is basically, you know, taking those first initial steps and figuring out, well, who do I want to transfer this business to? Yeah. Do I want to sell it? Do I want to transfer it to somebody on the inside? And what kind of a runway do I need in order to, uh, you know, train that person, get my customers and clients comfortable with them, et cetera. And that's different for every business. I've been told that I could get $25,000 if somebody just literally wanted to buy my place and just pick up where I left off. Uh, So I guess it's possible. And that was based on looking at my company's financials and balance sheets. Now, my company makes a lot more money than that. Uh, But that also keeps in mind that uh, a lot of it's relationship-based. And some of the folks who will stay loyal to me may have somebody else on the back burner already and may think of, well, if Adam sells out to Ashley, well, we don't really need to deal with Ashley. We have this other person on the back burner. We'll just jump to them. So mm-hmm. so you might buy my business and keep some of my clients for three days. Yeah. But some of them might say, oh, well, this was this was Adam's handpicked successor. We'll stick with her till she drops. Mm-hmm. So you just, uh, it's one of those things. The reason why that number is relatively low is because of that variable. That's how it's been explained to me. Yeah, and, and the, the main drivers of, value across any industry is going to be revenue and pre-tax income. You know, what, what, what do you bring in the door and what does your business earn annually at, 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 you know, that bottom line earnings. And then most businesses, depending on what industry you're in, the value is going to be some multiple of that. But then there are other factors too. Like, do you have 10 employees, a hundred employees, one employee that influences value significantly. Um, if, you know, what is your growth trajectory, a realistic growth trajectory? Uh, what are what are your debts? Do you have bank loans? Uh, do you have accounts payable? Do you have accounts receivable? What do you pay yourself? These are all things that impact value. Um, and so it's very important for business owners. The very, very first thing that we do, in fact, we do this for all of our clients before they ever sign on the dotted line to, to work with us is we give them an estimate of what their business is worth because they need to know and we need to know what their business is worth. It influences every single thing that we do from that point forward. And we can't start off with this uh 
rule of thumb or, you know, whatever the, the owner's inflated ideas, usually most business owners are pretty optimistic. So, you know, I've had business owners tell me, oh, I think my business is worth $5 million. And then we run the numbers and it's worth <laughs> like 500,000. And yeah. so the, the planning is very different for a $5 million business versus a business that's, that's worth maybe a million. And so, and, and of course it's going to be wildly different for a business that's worth a hundred million or, or more. And it's going to influence what exit paths you choose in, in terms of who you sell the business to. So every decision that a business owner is going to make about their exit um, will come after they know what the realistic value of the business is. We have to start with good information because, you know, bad information in, bad information out. It's no different with, you know, accounting or any other numbers uh, that you do in your business. So we have to start with good, good information and we need to know an accurate value of what the business is worth. Um, and the, the great news is, is technology has come a long way. We use a service. We actually pay for this service, but we make it available to anybody who wants to use it um, for free. And it allows business owners to value their business and get really good comparative data. Um, so the, a great example is an, a dental practice. In this database that we use, there are 370,000 other offices of dentists. And so, you know, across valuation, across different industries, you want to know what your business is worth. The most important determinant of that is revenue, pre-tax income in your given industry. And then we use these other things like your customer base, uh, your growth, your uh, debts, everything to kind of tighten that number and get a really good, strong, accurate valuation right out of the gate. Right. Well, here's what I was told by the person who gave me the 25,000 number. They also told me that candidly, it wasn't because I'm worth 25,000. It's uh, they shared that because my business has websites and brands, somebody could buy those and put their own name on it and have a running start of making a go at it themselves. Mm -hmm. So uh, so that's something I think for entrepreneurs to keep in mind is the value may not be you, but the value may be in what you've created that somebody else could pick up and run with. So mm -hmm. you could buy uh, the brands for the Business Creators Institute and the Podcast Creators Institute ad with with Ashley Michike at the end of it, and then take what I started, adapt it to you, and try it yourself. Mm -hmm. So the value to you is you don't have to build this stuff. All you have to do is put your name on it. Uh, somebody even told me that uh, if I were to sell to someone like you, we'll just use you as a theoretical example. You could take over my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, add with Ashley Mishikay to the uh, – to the uh, to the author attribution, add a chapter to it, and say <laughs> and say it's your continuation of my work. Yeah, and that, and 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 that's where part of the twenty five thousand dollars would be worth. Now that raises questions of what is the what, you know, how much is it already worth uh, to the marketplace? How much can somebody benefit from it? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, these are just starting points for people to consider in terms of what have they built that could have value and how could they adjust what they already have, even if it doesn't seem like much to potentially add value to it and incorporate that into your overall business thinking of what am I creating that could have value to somebody else? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So if I understand correctly, because you haven't told me that that person is completely full of it, uh, that there is at least something 
there and hope is not completely lost for the person who doesn't have a whole lot of employees or things like that. Because I was also told that I should consider growing the business to the point where it does have FTEs because part of the value would be the amount of revenues brought in by the work of that FTE. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the neat thing about the valuation tool is because the number that your valuation number will update in real time as you add data. So you could change your employee headcount uh, and see how that changes the value. Like if you had three people instead of one person, how does that influence value? If you grew your revenue by 10%, how does that increase value? Um, and so what it can help you do is to say, okay, well, where do I need to focus on my efforts? Maybe maybe the low-hanging fruit is, is to bring in another person. And yes, it's going to be a cost to my business, but long-term, if I'm really after maximizing the value of my business, it's going to be worth it uh, because it's uh, I'm creating this enterprise that exists outside of myself. So to indulge a cliche and make this really simple for our listeners to begin to understand, hire a really good salesperson where if somebody were to take over the business where that person is an employee, they have a revenue stream that raises the value of it. That's what I'm getting out of this. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're coming near to the top of the hour and I know you'll probably be back in a year. So uh, I know this isn't the end, but uh, what else, uh, what else should people consider just uh, as a general question in terms of understanding and protecting and growing the value of the business? I mean, we've seen how economic dislocation can come out of nowhere because think about it back in January, 2020, were we expecting a pandemic? I mean, we heard that there was this little thing going on in China and a few people noticed that they were having these weird illnesses. But even then, and I was one of the, the early people who was discussing this as a possibility, even I was saying, well, you know, this will probably cancel people's vacations, but beyond that, it's not going to have that big of an impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I was just telling my husband the other night, I can remember the exact moment that I thought, wow, this is really serious. Um, when I knew that it, there was thing reports coming out of China, but when uh, Trump suspended the flights fr- from China, I thought, wow, this is this is serious. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, yes. My, my indicator was uh, that uh, when President Trump gave that uh, press conference on, on March the somethingth, mm-hmm. and I noticed he, had, he hadn't tanned. <laughs> he missed his sunbed. Now, I'm not, now I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not joking about this because uh, part, of the, part of the work done by intelligence agencies is to analyze the physical appearance of other countries' leaders. If they have gained weight or lost weight or they haven't gotten a haircut uh, mm. or in the case of- or, or they're vulnerable. Of, yeah, or, or in the case of President Trump who uh, who is known to use a tanning bed. Uh, no, he doesn't spray, he tans. That, that's already been demonstrated. That's a separate conversation. But <laughs> if something's on his mind to the extent that he allowed himself to get all pasty looking when that's something that normally matters to him, that tells you that this is probably something that's keeping him up late at night that is a really big issue that he hasn't disclosed a lot of things about, yeah. which says, yeah, something's up. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, so that's something to keep in mind uh, for anybody who has an interest in foreign affairs and uh, you know, recognizes how something going on in one country can impact another. Just monitor what their leader physically looks like. 
-hmm. Because if there are some changes to their appearance, that indicates that they have allowed their personal grooming to go to the side, which means something else is on their mind. Mm -hmm. Things are not all that they seem or all that they're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going back to your question, though, about opportunities in growing the value of the business, obviously, it's going to be different for every business. And, and you've kind of touched on a couple of those things, which are, uh, you know, diversifying your revenue stream. That's that's fantastic thing um, that I think the pandemic has also kind of brought to light, which is, you know, if I'm only making money from this one stream of income what if that goes away or or if i only have two or three clients you know if one of them leaves it's going to really hurt my business um so diversification is an important um thing to look at in terms of growing the value of the business um, but i find that too often most of the business owner clients when i start working with them they just don't know where they stand what is the value of your business today so i would just encourage any of your listeners to take advantage of the, that free resource that we offer to allow them to accurately value value their business it takes you gather a few pieces of information like revenue pre-tax income um, there's like eight pieces of information very high level stuff uh, you plug that into the valuation tool that we make available and you can see instantly what the value of your business is. So then you can make decisions about, okay, well, where do I go from here? Do I need to uh, grow the value of the business? Is it, is it where I would like it to be or need it to be in order to start pursuing my exit and thinking seriously about that? Um, so I would just encourage your listeners to take advantage of that. And the the um, the link for that is truenorthra.com forward slash value my business. Everything is right there um, to allow your listeners to get free access to the tool and value their business, you know, 10 times, 100 times if they want to. All right. So let's say, let's, let's say that again. Say that URL again. TrueNorthRA.com forward slash value my business. Value my business. I'm going to probably check that out for myself just for uh, just for kicks to see if that $25,000 number even holds up. Because that is actually something I've been giving a lot of thought to myself is, uh, and this is something that everybody should consider in their business, is the saleability factor, if nothing else. And if you establish saleability, in my personal opinion, uh, then by default, you actually end up covering at least a few of these other issues that you bring to our attention. Uh, so if it doesn't have value to a potential buyer, it may not have value to you. And those could be things you could work on. Because if I'm going to buy a business, I'm going to want to look at durability. I don't want to buy this thing and have it like deflate the day mm -hmm. after I buy it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So uh, so if nothing else, my thought, just based on what you said, is put some attention to that. And that will at least get you started on the path of some of the things that you recommend. But for everybody else, I do recommend truenorthra.com forward slash value my business is a good conversation starting point. Exactly. All right. Well, this has been a this has been a barrel of laughs as always. Uh, I know that some of the topics we touched on were actually kind of morbid, <laughs> but these are things that we need to have a sense of humor about because it is part of the vicissitudes of life. So, Ashley Michike, thank you so much for being with us once again. It's been an honor, and as it is every time in education. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. 
All right. So we trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.